Welcome to Daily Kosa's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. Here, we'll discuss the issues that are driving the news as we fight for a more progressive America. I am Marcos Molitsis, the founder of Daily Kos and your co-host, along with senior political writer Carrie Eleveld. If you want to join the conversation, we record the podcast live on YouTube and Facebook every Tuesday at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. I'm Marcos Molitsis. I'm here with Kara Salaya. We are Daily Coast's The Brief, our weekly show about politics. So thank you for joining us as, uh, as we broadcast every Tuesday at 2.30. Um, I don't know why I'm rambling, Carol. What's going on? I think we're out of practice. Take one <laughs> week off for Thanksgiving, and I'm completely, completely shot. So, Kara, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, our regular uh, co-host, Carrie uh, Eleveld, is out on holiday vacation, much deserved. Yes, So, Kara, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. What's been going on? What's going on in the news <laughs> <know>. this week? <laughs> We're all on vac- coming back from vacation. It's like, you know, I looked at the news. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to read about Joe Manchin. I'm not, I'm not ready to read about Joe Manchin. I don't care right now. No, don't talk to me about, about uh, Mitch McConnell. You know what is in the news and what is um, something that we, we, we do want to focus on today is COVID. and the emergence of the Omicron variant. And so our guest later on today, hopefully, we'll have Mark Sumner from Daily Coast. He is one of our uh, senior writers, and he is, I don't think I exaggerate, Kara, he's one of the nation's preeminent experts on COVID. And we were tracking, at Daily Coast, we were tracking COVID in January of 2020, two months before it sort of burst in the national scene. I actually give Mark Sumner credit for the fact that nobody in my circle, my family, my friends, nobody has died of COVID because in late January of 2020, I was telling people stock up, get ready. Things are going to be closed and down, avoid crowds. Very, very early on, we had this sort of advanced warning system at Daily Coast. If you were reading Daily Coast, you were part of that as well. But Mark really was that person. And, and I went back and I looked and he wrote his first story on covid on January 23rd wow. of 2020. And since then, he has written 383 stories. On I mean, COVID. That's, that's almost like a story every day or every other day, given how long we've been in this. And Marcos, not to steal your story, but I am in the same boat. In fact, I had a friend that I saw recently over the holidays who was the last person I saw in the before times. And they were like, I remember you were like stocking up. You had like water. I mean, I went maybe a little overboard. You know, I got like a bidet and I was like, no, Mark Sumner is talking about. (laughs) I got a bidet too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, people want to talk about supply chain problems that are going to be happening this this winter. And it's like, we experienced such a massive one um, in the spring of 2020. And Mark genuinely um, is the person that I like go to and trust on this. In fact, the only articles that I've read during my time off was uh, when I, because I didn't understand what was going on with the variant was that I did look up um, what Mark had been writing about it and truly got a sense of like, okay, can I breathe or do I need to start revving up for 2.0? Yeah. And Mark is, he, he's he's a lot of things, uh, but he's a scientist. I mean, he, he'll talk to you about physics and space exploration and galaxies and geology. And yeah. and then he is an apparently he became an expert on virus. But what's what's like virology? Well, um, yeah, <laughs> what, we're what not the scientists. That? No, we're not the scientists. <laughs> but 
what he's able to do and very, very successfully is he takes a very complex issue and he is able to write about it in English. Yeah. So people like me and apparently like you, Carol, <laughs> we can understand. And, and I always say like reading Mark makes me the smartest person when it comes to COVID anywhere that I might possibly be, except maybe inside of, you know, the CDC. But in lay areas of, of the world, yeah, you know, he's, he's incredibly, incredibly good. So talking about COVID, th- there's this, um, how should I put this? There, there's this phenomenon, I guess, is of, of schadenfreude. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's sort of sweeping through liberal circles. And so, for example, on Reddit, there is a subreddit titled the Herman Cain Awards. And Herman Cain was one of the first high profile conservatives, Republicans to die of COVID. He did so after getting infected at Donald Trump's Tulsa, Oklahoma rally. Uh, We all talked about it being a super spreader event. (laughs) You know, it actually took down Herman Cain. So this is basically people, they'll, they'll go on Facebook and they'll find the most virulent anti-vaxxers and COVID deniers and then tracks, you know, their, their sort of memes. And, and then inevitably, you know, they, they get COVID and most of the time they die. Sometimes there's a redemption, which those are always heartwarming. Like, okay, you know, this person spent all this time attacking vaccines and suddenly is is saying, you know what, this COVID stuff, they always say, it's no joke. This COVID thing (laughs) is no joke and please vaccinate. But most of the time they don't. And it's, it's, it's kind of an addiction. And I started picking some of the more interesting stories and running them on Daily Coast with my own running commentary. And that's become an incredibly popular part of Daily Coast as well. And so There is this sort of frustration, I think, that we're in, we're trapped in this world where COVID is, is still limiting our ability to get back to normalcy. And it is doing so because so many people refuse to vaccinate. And those people are mostly conservative, Tucker Carlson type listeners. So we're, we're frustrating, but it does present sort of this ethical dilemma, right? Like, sure. Are I we, mean, are, are we sort of, you know, laughing at people's pain or, 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 you know, I, I think that's what you were going to say, or are we perpetuating, yeah. you know, this sort of resistance? Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of really good insight and conversations also happening in the community about harm reduction and like how to have conversations with people who, you know, you and I live in sort of liberal uh, circles and bubbles. And so I don't know anyone who isn't vaccinated. In fact, I'm boosted up, you know, and I'm, I'm a young person, but you know, those are things that we need to talk about, about harm reduction and how to make sure people, you know, can take care of themselves and people that they care about. But nonetheless, it is a little tough because it's like that meme that's all over social media. It's like, Oh no, look, consequences to my actions um, <laughs> so, or lack of actions in the case of uh, COVID. But I, I'm interested to hear from Mark on, on, on his take on harm reduction and, and what we can do um, moving forward to maybe reach the people we haven't reached and what our role is as liberals. Yeah, I mean, big part of the problem is that a lot of these people, they're so virulent. There are people who are genuinely confused. Yeah. And the system has failed them in some ways. There are people that are just passive consumers of their Facebook feed and Facebook has Mm. failed them. Yeah. But then there are the, there are the types that are actually actively, you know, laughing at, 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 at uh, the CDC and calling people who vaccinate sheeple and, Oh, you're all going to die. You know, you're, you're, 
And then they'll probably say things like, I'm in the control group of this experiment, you know, because they didn't take the vaccine. And <laughs> the control group is not doing so well. <laughs> but that's not penetrating, right? So right. It, it's not so much, oh, this person was dumb and they suffered the consequences. It's that they're actively promulgating this disinformation yeah. and misinformation machine. Facebook is right there just, you know, happily profiting from it all. Can I and, also like, yeah. can I also add that over the weekend that we were talking in the green room about how like it's hard to keep up on things when you're doing the holidays. But I did keep up with Joe Biden's statement that came on about the new variant and about the, the travel restrictions that they're going to be. And I did have this moment of also remembering like, oh, the administration doesn't actively want us to die. This is refreshing. Um, and like, I think that people, um, it, it, you know, memory is very short. And, you know, we've talked, I've talked on this podcast before, uh, whatever bones we have to pick with, uh, with the Biden administration, but it was just nice to see a response that was level headed. And I did notice that the White House's language referred to Dr. Fauci as Dr. Tony Fauci. And I was like, did Joe <laughs> write this himself? Because <laughs> Tony, <I like> Tony. Tony. <laughs> it's a new rebrand for Dr. Fauci. Yeah, no. <laughs> You know, it's a really good point, though, but when you say the administration doesn't want anybody to die, because right now we're seeing in places in, in Republican-led states, particularly Texas and Florida, mm -hmm. where the governors think that they're running for president in 2024, where they have an active policy of killing their own supporters yeah. in order to win political points for 2024. Because at this point, most of the people predominantly are red counties and most of the people that are dying in those counties are who you would expect, people who don't vaccinate, people who don't mask. And those are far and beyond most likely to be conservatives. So you have some of their most rabid supporters refusing to take precautions because you have uh, Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, and you have uh, Greg Abbott in Texas. These two Republicans who, again, think they're running in 2024 actively refusing to allow even local mask mandates, not even allowing cities, municipalities to protect their own residents or getting in the way of vaccine mandates or suing the federal government, trying to stop federal vaccine mandates for healthcare workers and other federal workers. And in effect, what they're doing is they're killing their own supporters for political points. And I, I I mean, I don't know if I've ever been happier to be on Team Democrat than I am right now because we don't kill our own people for political support. Yeah. And we're actively trying to, you know, encourage people who are on the other side to please, you know, like being a Republican isn't shouldn't be a death sentence. Like I, as a Democrat, I don't believe that, you know, and so... <laughs> I, I want people to get vaccinated. I want people to believe in public health selfishly and also just because I think death generally is bad. I don't know. What a novel concept for the GOP, I guess, the pro-life party. Yeah, no, they walk around with uh, assault weapons and fantasize about killing liberals because we're asking them to please don't die from COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Can politics be any more absurd than they are right now? Don't I, say I, that. They'll find a way. They'll, uh, they'll, find, they'll a way. find. Yeah. God, you know, always. I mean, I still I still have never forgiven Donald Trump for making George W. Bush seem like kind of an OK president. <laughs> he wasn't that bad. <laughs> he was terrible. That's but in awful. comparison, in comparison. Oh, my God. So it looks like Mark Sumner has gotten his 
technical difficulties sorted out, so we're going to bring him on. Mark Sumner is a senior writer. Hey. Hi, Mark. So glad you were able to make it. He's a senior writer at Daily Coast. Mark, we were talking earlier on this show about how you were covering COVID from the very, very beginning. I went back and looked. <laughs> it was January 23rd of 2020. And I, Karen and I were both saying that you were the reason that... I don't know about your your circle, but nobody has died in my circle because from late January, I was telling people to stock up on supplies, on water, toilet paper, telling them to avoid crowds, telling them to mask up really, really early on. And it was it was almost two months before the first lockdown, which was here in the Bay Area in March 15 of 2020. So we were we were ahead of the curve by almost two months. And really, when I say we, it was really you made sure we were ahead of the curve. So thank you so very much. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. I hope you can hear me. I'm, if I keep looking over to one side, I'm, I'm now using an iPad that is turned sideways so the camera is at one end of it <laughs> and you people are over there. So, so I have to focus on staring not at you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Mark, um, how were you able to be a, sort of ahead of the curve as much as you were and writing about this stuff so early before really anybody in the traditional media had really realized this thing was happening in Wuhan, China? I just, part of it was was sheer luck, uh, running into those early announcements that came out of China, came out of the World Health Organization. They were getting a little bit of attention in the media, but, you know, I try to cover science a lot for Daily Coast, and, and so that's one of those things that that I'm kind of on the lookout for. And then, you know, like everybody else, I think I read books like The Hot Zone and so on. So there there was a degree of, of worry all the time. And this, from just the way the people talked about it and from the way it was behaving in China in those early days, it was clearly something that deserved more concern than it was getting. I like how you say, like everybody else, I read this book. I, mean, <laughs> I was going to make the same note. I was going to make the same note. If, if you haven't read the book, The Hot Zone, it, it actually was turned into a uh, TV series presciently in 2019. And it's the story of how Ebola was discovered and an Ebola outbreak that occurred within the United States that a lot of people, I think, are still not very aware of. It happened just outside of Washington, D.C., uh, in in Reston, Virginia. So there's in fact a kind of Ebola that's known as Ebola Reston, just like there is Ebola Zaire. I'm trying to I'm trying to organize whether to really sort of focus on the history of of your coverage and sort of get to the Omicron variant right now. And so I don't want to rush too far ahead too quickly. Um, I went back and looked, and you've written 383 stories on the <laughs> COVID vaccine. When you started writing about that two year, almost two years ago, did you expect it to be this long lasting? You, you know, I think if you go back to uh, February of 2020, I was still saying, you know, this looks bad. We need to be prepared for it. But I really don't expect it to become a global pandemic. So in terms of being prescient about where it was really going, um, I was still very hopeful, even, in, even when it had reached South Korea there were cases in Taiwan. Uh, we'd seen the first case in Italy. I was still still thinking we can get ahead of this thing. You know, the United States is really prepared. We can uh, we can do a lot of testing. We Did can you see do, who the you know, president was? A lot of case management. Look at what South Korea is doing. They're really 
writing a textbook for us on, on how this should be handled. All we have to do is follow their playbook and we'll be fine. Yeah. So, so no, I, I didn't really uh, anticipate how bad it was going to get and how badly we were going to fail. Yeah, that's still regardless, like it was one of those things that I remember, I, I think we even did like a little video explainer. I mean, in the early days, we were trying to figure out how to explain this to people. And it seems like it's a consistent problem now uh, when it comes to vaccines and boosters that it, we're struggling with how to really break through to people on how to talk about it. And of course, the average Daily Coast reader, community member is highly educated, is really involved, is probably vaccinated, but they might have family members who aren't, or friends or people in their community, or they might live in high-risk areas. Um, and, and I guess what I'm wondering is what you, you have seen um, from the psychological aspect of how to break through to people. What are the conversations and the arguments that actually change people's minds? I, I wish I had better advice, but I'll tell you, I've got two family members right now who uh, are hospitalized with COVID. Wow. In just the last week, um, and and these are people that uh, you know we've we've literally begged to to get vaccinated. Um, they they in this case they're they're long term um, have a disbelief in anti vax or they've been anti vax because they have a son who is is autistic and and like uh, I think a lot of people they had a child born in the nineties who was autistic. They were just right at the right time to be hit by all that false information and they absorbed it and they have stuck with it. And um, it, uh, it's very unfortunate and, and they're both quite ill and, and a lot of concern about them. So I wish I could say I had a magic bullet in terms of how to get things across to people. Talking to a friend last night, you know, that she has a daughter that, that uh, has two daughters, one who's been vaccinated, who's being extremely careful, masked everywhere. The other daughter, is telling her the telling her that by getting the vaccine she's put herself on the death list she's committed suicide getting the vaccine so you know that's within one family uh, wow. i don't i don't know how you break that barrier yeah yeah so um you wrote a piece um on the dangers of people becoming complacent with covid and expecting expecting it just to become uh, endemic Right. And and you wrote in that piece and again, I don't have in front of me, but you wrote like we must not allow COVID to become endemic. Then you wrote it in italics. Here, let me try it this way. We must not allow <laughs> yeah, COVID it, to become endemic. It, it, and then you bolded it. We must not allow COVID to become endemic. Can you tell us what that means to become endemic the, and why is I that so that dangerous? Right now I'm seeing two mythologies kind of going around that, that really bother me. And I pushed back on one just this morning on, on the site. And one is the mythology that over time viruses become weaker, right? It, it makes a certain degree of sense when people try to think about it. Viruses are absolutely dependent on a host to reproduce. So the viruses need that host to be around. And the idea that a virus could gain a competitive advantage by getting weaker in terms of, of its virulence and um, keeping the host up and running around and essentially healthy for a long period of time seems like it should be an advantage. But that's not the way this works. It's, it's not the way really any virus works. You can look at smallpox. Smallpox, you can find it in Egyptian mummies. You can find it in remains that go back 10,000 years. And smallpox still killed 300 million people in the 20th century. Smallpox was just as virulent today as it was 12,000 years ago. And we really 
can't expect anything different out of uh, COVID-19. If you, if you look at the SARS-CoV-2 virus, the thing that really makes it more dangerous than its close relatives, SARS and MERS, both of those have uh, extremely high death rates, 10%, 30%. So on the surface, it seems like they're worse. But What's the death rate right now of COVID? Well, if you look globally, it's around 2%. It 2%. really varies. In Russia right now, it's running around 3%, of over 3%. In the U.S., it's running around 1%. If you look in the U.K., their daily rate of cases looks really bad, but they have consistently kept their case fatality rate down to about 0.4% throughout the whole Delta wave. So they're, doing, they're just doing a better job of testing, right? They're, they're requiring people to get tested twice a week when they go to school. They're doing a much better job of testing and sampling than we are. So they have had a lot high case count, but low death rate. But if, but if you look at SARS and MERS, what happens with those guys is you, you get sick, you start coughing, you run a fever, and a day or two later, that's when you're contagious. But wow. with SARS-CoV-2, you get contagious, and then you run a fever and start coughing. The peak of your contagion is right around the first day you show symptoms, and a day or two on either side of that. So when you look at something like the Delta variant that has really increased the number of particles that are in the respiratory tract, you've got people that are walking around spewing out plumes of virus that don't know they're sick yet, that right. feel fine. And that's what makes this such a persistent pandemic. When people feel sick, not only can healthcare workers or whatever step in to do something, but they can self-quarantine, right? I feel bad, I'm gonna stay home from work today. But if you feel fine, you're gonna go on to work today. And that's that's really been the problem with SARS-CoV-2, with, with COVID-19 from the outset. Um, so when we're looking at Omicron, are we ready to do Omicron? <clears throat> wait, 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 no, no, hold on yet. Um, so th you said there was there was two um, myths that you had to deal with. One was ah. the, that the virus got weaker over time. Yeah, uh, and, 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 and as you mentioned, is, the, the smallpox, but hold on, hold on. No, sorry, sorry. Um, so you said smallpox hasn't weakened over time. And I think you just wrote about it and you mentioned a couple of other viruses that also haven't weakened over time. So there's nothing that that requires it to get weaker over time. It right. can no if it wants to. pressure pushing it, for it to get weaker because the infection's all front loaded, right? Mm, it gets right. those germs out there in the first week that you've caught it. And then after that, it wouldn't matter to the virus. It, you could get completely better and be fine. Right. You could burst into flames. <laughs> Both of those would have just a vanishingly small effect on how effective the virus was at spreading because it has front loaded its infection. It gets that virus out. It gets the other copies of itself out there in the first couple of days. And you make the point that the virus only reason to exist is to, to, to spread, right? That's really, it has no other function in life than to, than to multiply. Yeah, really the only evolutionary pressure on all of us, right. Is to reproduce. That's, that's true for all animals, but, with, with other things, you know, you start to see other behaviors and, and, uh, and uh, hunting and, and uh, surviving and, and feeding and sexual attraction. All that stuff kind of gets in the way. But for viruses, they don't do any of that. They can't even reproduce without us. So they're, they're just a, a little chunk of RNA in this case. That's all it is. Mark, so, in the case of um, 
because we were talking about the just the different variants. And so early in the days of the beginning of the pandemic, we were talking about how it tended to affect people who were older, who had respiratory issues, who had right. some other type of pre-existing condition. Um, and then, you know, we became really concerned that vaccinations were only available to adults. Um, and so I'm wondering if the variants have shown any, from what you've been able to see, any higher impact on children than the original COVID-19 that we were dealing with. You're certainly seeing a change in who's getting infected. Mm -hmm. um, up to this point, children, children under 18 make up about 22% of the population. Up to this point, about 16% of all the COVID-19 cases that have tested positive have been in children under 18. So they've underperformed in terms of being infected, uh, their percentage of the population. But if you look right now, it's about 25%. Wow. Part of that could be that the variants are getting better at targeting kids, but a big part of that is probably the kids are a big unvaccinated population. Right. So it's really hard to break out those two effects. So what's the second myth? The first oh, the, myth the idea that we could just go on with this, right? We, ah, we, 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 we live with uh, the flu every year. We live with uh, all these other yeah. things. So, you know, why can't we just uh, learn to live with COVID-19 and, and just go on with it? And the, the difference is just an order of magnitude. You know, um, a bad flu year, you might see 35 to 40,000 people die. But what we've seen in the last couple of years is, is COVID-19 is going to kill 10 times that every year. Um, and even if you know, we get some new pills, we get better vaccines, or, or, we, or we, we keep that number somewhat depressed, um, you know, you're talking about things that it causes long-term disabilities. It is incredibly disruptive. People get very sick. When people talk about flu-like symptoms, people think about the cold, right? Yes. You had a cold and, and, oh, it was so bad, I had a cold. No. The flu feels like if you haven't been hit by a train, it's not the flu. And that's a mild case of COVID-19, right? Yeah, it feels people, like death. The flu is horrible. Yeah, I'm people, taking that yeah. vaccine even though it's like 40% effective. I don't care. I'm taking it. So, so think about trying to run anything. Think about if you're running a big IT project and you've got 100 people on that project. And over the course of the year, one of the people that's integral to your project dies. And over the course of the year, you know, three of the people that, that are integral to your projects have to spend a month in the hospital or are out of the work office place for, for an extended period. How difficult does it become to manage any large organization or extensive project in a place where you just can't count on anybody on any given day. You know, it's, it's in terms of the changes to society, the changes to the, the economic impact of this. You talk about, you know, we've had, we've had uh, 600,000 or, or probably closer to a million people now that have actually died from COVID-19 in the U.S., but we've had millions of people that have been left with long-term impacts What's the cost of that going to be in the healthcare system? And, and if we just keep allowing that to happen year by year, how long can we go? How long can we keep funding that? Yeah, it's medical uh, bankruptcies uh, and the financial dev devastation that creates for families. It's orphans. Uh, yep. The CDC yeah. estimated what, 130,000 140,000 kids right now that have lost a parent or guardian. Wow. You have that and the financial um, hit to losing a, a, a wage earner in the family. Right. There is long haul COVID and the inability of people to go back to work to their quality of life is diminished. There's so many ways. I mean, we have what long haul can't taste 
I mean, that seems so, I mean, it, it's not your lungs, your heart, right, are damaged, but you can't taste. You go, you know, they're going now, what, over a year now without being able to taste right? yeah. and losing that. The right wing, the anti-vaxxers, they focus so much on the death toll. And that's as if that's the only way that COVID can harm you. And, and that seems, and even that playing those odds, those odds aren't that great. They'll say, well, 98.8% of people survived COVID just fine. Somebody made this analogy and I, I like, I love it, right? There are 45,000 commercial airline flights every single day around the world. If you had that 98.8% success rate, it means that 80 airplanes a day would crash. Nope. Would you get on, on the plane? plane? Would you get on any plane knowing that in any given day, 80 of them are going to crash? And clearly, they're like, no, they're not going to get on that plane, but they're totally fine sort of playing this Russian roulette with, uh, with, with right. COVID. So I guess this brings us then to Omicron, right? Because the early reports are that it, it, you know, it's, it's com- out-competing Delta, at least in some areas, in South Africa particularly, um, but it might be milder. It, this is one of maybe a variant that actually has evolved on the milder side, not because of evolutionary pressure. Let's just <laughs> let's <laughs> yeah. reinforce that point, because as you pointed out, Mark, it, the next version can be even worse than Delta. Mm-hmm. Right. There's nothing keeping nothing special. But in this case, the early the early information is kind of hopeful. Right. It, it's, it's all over the board. Of course, we've got there's there's always three big questions. The, the first one's how contagious it is. Is it going to outcompete Delta? Is it going to become the dominant variant? The, the second one's how virulent is it? You know, is it, is it going to cause more serious disease, more deaths? And, and uh, the third one is how evasive is it? Mm-hmm. Is it going to get around the vaccines? Is it going to reinfect people that have been previously infected? I think we're starting to get maybe a little bit of answer in each one of those categories. I mean, we can see that in some areas, especially around Johannesburg, it has displaced Delta, so that suggests it's it's pretty darn contagious. Uh, whether or not that's going to happen elsewhere, it's hard to say yet. But the fact that it's in 20 countries as of this morning shows that it can really be pretty easily spread through casual contact. On the other hand, some of the tests that were done in like uh, the Netherlands and Germany indicate that it's been around in those countries before the announcement in South Africa. So it hasn't uh, taken over in days or immediately displaced. You know, it, it took a dedicated search to find it. So maybe it's on par with Delta. Maybe it won't really displace Delta. We just still don't know yet. Okay. When it comes to how virulent it is, um, yeah, we've had we've had one doctor in South Africa that gave uh, just incredibly hopeful information uh, today that that uh, indicated. Symptom, symptom-wise, it was quite different than what they were seeing with Delta, and that they were seeing uh, more of those flu-like symptoms, right? Body aches, headaches, um, but but that so far they they have really hadn't seen the the level of death and serious disease that they had seen with Delta. So that would be very nice to think, uh, and you know, as we were saying, that that would be uh, coincidental to the virus uh, that that outcome, but the it would be great for us. Um, the, the problem is, of course, that when we talk about people dying from COVID-19, it's usually they die after weeks of terrible struggle, right? They, they come in, they, they feel okay for a week or two, they get sick, 
they get better, they get sick again, they get they go on a ventilator, they maybe even get off the ventilator, then they get sick again. Weeks later, they die. So right now, we're still very early days in this. So the long-term effects of being infected with, with the Omicron variant, we just don't know yet. And then the other thing is how invasive it is. There's, there's a couple of different things there. On the monoclonal antibodies, they're, they're probably uh, really cut down on their effectiveness by this. So explain, you know, those, are, those are the antibodies that when somebody, what, within the first 10 days of infection. Right. So the monoclonal antibodies are, are similar to the antibodies that you produce, but they, they're um, simpler. They're, they're really a, a, a subset of the antibodies that you produce if you have an infection or a vaccine. And, and they're sort of frozen in time. The ones that we have now are based off of the genetic structure that Chinese scientists provided to the world back in January of 2020. So they've really... Um, and they're pretty effective, protein, right? I mean, this they, is what Joe Rogan took after he got COVID. I yep. mean, this is what uh, Donald Trump got when he got COVID. Uh, as long as it's early in the cycle, it actually boosts the body's ability to to fight off the infection. It's actually the first treatment at a hospital when somebody first comes in. As long as they haven't, it's early, right? Once you're 10 right. days you, in, I think that's get it too late. To, ideally, you get it you know, right about the time you start showing symptoms very soon. And it's really not intended for people that are that are seriously ill or on oxygen yeah. or or even hospitalized, right? You get it as an, an outpatient treatment and go home, and that's that's uh, that's what it's intended for. And so, to be clear, so what you're saying is that that those treatments, which is probably the most effective treatment once somebody has COVID, no longer will work because it is specifically tailored to the variant. They're they're specifically tailored to the to the spike protein that was present. Uh, originally in, in the, the Chinese version of, of the disease. So every time there's been a change in that spike protein, um, we've seen a decline in effectiveness. Okay. So like Eli Lilly produced one of these uh, monoclonal antibodies, and that one actually had its emergency use authorization pulled back in the fall because it really proved to be pretty ineffective against Delta. So there are enough changes with Omicron that you can anticipate that both Regeneron and Eli Lilly's monoclonal antibody treatments are going to be, uh, if not useless, significantly reduced in, in their efficiency. Mark, I was wondering regarding the, I mean, and this might be going to some of the like death toll numbers that we mentioned earlier on in this conversation, but especially when it was like the Trump administration, there were a lot of concerns with people that the numbers were actually being underreported or that we didn't have a good sense of how to be able to tell what was exactly happening. What are we seeing nowadays, especially with these new variants? And not to get too wonky, the second part of it is, how exactly are scientists able to tell that this is uh, a variant on COVID? Like, what are the pronounced differences that uh, scientists are you know, seeing? The, the, I'll, I'll do the second one first. Okay. <laughs> but the... the um, what they really do is they they just take it and they run the genetic code. You, if you remember, mm -hmm. like 20 years ago, it was such a project, right, to run the genetic code of anything. But now they can do it quite quickly. And and this is a large virus, but still a large virus has, in this case, about 30,000 um, segments of RNA. So compared to, you know, the billions that are in uh, human beings or the many billions that have to be in potatoes, <laughs> they, uh, <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's, it's really a pretty simple organism. So you can, you can run it quickly 
and you can compare it to the to previous ones. And in fact, uh, there's a, there's a terrific uh, website that will let you go in, see the code, tinker with it a little bit, run models of it, see how that makes the proteins look different. It's um, it's it's really quite interesting. So that's what they've done here. And what's what's really quite amazing on on Omicron is just how divergent it is. Mm-hmm. If you if you were, I, I I need a visual aid here. But if you were to hold all the other variants up, they're they're like all going in the same direction, right? You're seeing little changes here, little changes here, and then Omicron is like this. It has just come off. Not it, it's not Delta Plus, right? It didn't mm-hmm. start with Delta and then make changes. It started somewhere back here, closer to the to the base version, and it just went its own way. And in fact, in the few days that since we have been testing for Omicron, the Variants, the subvariants of Omicron are really just about as diverse as the subvariants of something like Delta that's been around for months. So it's so, almost as if one of the mutations it acquired might have been a mutation in how it transcribes its own RNA. So it's it's like making a lot of errors, you know. So it's it's churning out uh, variants and subvariants just almost with every replication. Is is actually? I, have, I guess I have two questions. One is this idea of outcompeting. I mean, when you say, "Oh, well, Omicron," you know, is it going to outcompete Delta? I think that they're like fighting each other, right? They're like it's like a <laughs> war, and they're like looking for territory and for supremacy. But when you explain it about how different it is, it almost seems like it's becoming its own new disease. Like it, like it's it's might even do. Can they coexist? Are they literally competing against each other? How's like help me wrap my brain around that idea? Well, and that's one of the things when we talk about it being evasive, there's two parts to that. One is, is it evasive of the vaccines, right? When you get the vaccines, you you get you create a bunch of antibodies. You also create things like T cells uh, and other other immune responses, some of which are probably going to be uh, pretty good against Omicron. In fact, today, Pfizer put out numbers. I have no idea how they're getting these numbers. So I say that uh, cautionary. They're saying, oh, it's still 90 percent effective. I cannot see how they can possibly say that at this point, but they did. So the the other part of being evasive is, is it evasive of other variants or people that have been infected in the past, right? So you, you got sick and you had Delta, you got sick and you had Beta. Can you now get infected again with, with Omicron? And um, the answer, the answer may turn out to be yes. The answer is almost certainly yes. People got sick with Delta that had previously had other variants. So there was enough difference there. And Omicron is, is uh, considerably different, from, more different from Delta than Delta was from Alpha or Beta. But you're still probably going to have, just like with the vaccine, some level of protection, right? Your body is going to have an immune response that it worked up in response to those, that other variant that is still going to somewhat apply with, with Omicron. But yeah, when we talk about competition, it's, 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 you know, it's uh, the lions and zebras out on, on the veld, right? They're, they're all competing for, for where they can, can find uh, reproductive space. So we, if you can infect you, that's cool. And, and it's really just competing with the other variants in terms of trying to infect the most number of people. So really what we're measuring is that that value that gets written down all the time is big R, little zero, the, you know, the rate of transmission, just how contagious is this thing? And the one that's most contagious is, is going to, quote, win by just grabbing up all that available and space to be infected in, in terms of people. To circle back, Mark, uh, regarding also Omicron, 
are we seeing a, a better sense of of being able to trust the numbers that are being reported and because people just have a, a better responsive uh, abilities worldwide? It, you know, it's hard to say. One thing that I, that I do want to say is South Africa has been uh, admirably transparent in, in all of the steps that it did here. Uh, it's, it's very easy to think at this point that they are getting punished for essentially being whistleblowers, right? They spotted this thing. They immediately told the world about it, and everybody reacted by clamping a travel ban on them. Um, so uh, in some sense, that still makes some, some sense in, in the um, terms of the largest cluster of, of Omicron that we know of right now is, is in one region of South Africa. So it makes some sense to try to isolate that. There's also a suspicion that it didn't first appear in South Africa, but probably came from one of the neighboring countries. So people are cutting a kind of a swath around Southern Africa, trying to isolate where they think it might have originated. And in the assumption that there's another pool of, of Omicron out there that we just haven't detected yet. But, you know, it's it's in uh, Netherlands, it's, it's in Germany, it's in the UK, it's in Australia, it's in Hong Kong. So um, the, the travel ban's effectiveness is, is limited. And, uh, and the next time somebody spots a interesting variant, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not they immediately come forward or whether they have concerns about getting a, a travel ban slapped on them. This may, <laughs> you know, humanity has this sort of history of importing predators to take out local pests, right? Thinking, and sometimes it works, oftentimes it does not. If it turns out that Omicron is just flu-like symptoms with a far reduced death rate, and it can outcompete Delta, would it make sense to actually invite all of South Africa to, to yeah. the U.S. to make that the dominant strain? You know, there was, it's funny, there was an article in, in, on NPR just last month that, that essentially suggested, hey, maybe the way to get over this is, is this, to go back to like the chickenpox parties, right? To have, uh, if, if we have a version of, of COVID-19 that is uh, relatively harmless, you know, go out there, we all catch it. So it's, it's another version of that uh, herd immunity theory. And, and I, I, I like it as long as we are certain that it's uh, uniformly mild, right? We don't want to go out there. We don't, we don't expose kids to chickenpox, even though the number of kids that were dying of chickenpox before the vaccine was in you know, two digits a year. It was still worthwhile to go out and create a chickenpox vaccine, force every kid to get vaccinated before they go to school, because chickenpox can not only kill you, it can also ca cause long-term problems. The same things with the mumps. Mumps can, cause, can, can not just kill kids, but can leave you, you know, can leave people sterile. It can leave uh, other effects that last through an entire life, can damage your vision, so on. So, so the same thing goes true here. We we better be darn sure that uh, that it is uh, uh, more than mostly harmless before we we start encouraging people to catch it. But yeah, if there was a version of COVID nineteen that you could catch that would even help provide some protection against other variants, um, the that would be that would be great. In fact, at the very outset of the pandemic, there was some hope that other coronaviruses, some of the coronaviruses that cause the common colds, that if you had had a cold caused by one of those coronaviruses in the last year, maybe you would have some protection against COVID-19. Unfortunately, we, we never saw that. 
And that doesn't, and again, the, the problem is that the next possible strain will, will mutate, yeah. could mutate in a whole different direction. And, and the problem here isn't that people, the problem is that people aren't vaccinating, right? Which is allowing this right. to continue to, to circulate. In some countries, I'm sure the, the Horn of Africa doesn't have access to as many vaccines. So it's probably a, a, a developing world, rich world <laughs> inequity problem in the United States is because conservatives don't vaccinate. So the idea I, I don't think is let, let's, let's bring in the Omicron to in lieu of a vaccination. And in fact, it might actually make people complacent and not want to vaccinate. Right. And, and as we're finding that, that immunity wanes over time. So we're probably going to continue to need boosters for a while, or do you even have a sense for that? Is, is, is there a, is there a scenario where the, the one booster is good enough and we're good to go? Or should we just expect this to be every six to 12 months? I, um, I, it's really hard to tell, even with the last booster, how much of that was a decline in, in immune response and how much of that was Delta. Yeah. Delta was different enough that, that it uh, is somewhat evasive of the vaccine. So in some sense, we had to get boosted even though it's the same vaccine, we had to get boosted and kind of raise up the bar a little bit to protect against Delta, to, to hit it as hard as we were hitting uh, the previous variants. So as long as we're spinning off new variants, we're probably going to need new boosters. And the way to solve that need is to vaccinate more people so that there's a smaller pool of people out there uh, in, in which these new variants can, can gestate. There's been uh, some suggestion that Omicron based on the number and the type of changes that it has, may have come from someone who had a poor immune response. Mm -hmm. So if you think about Africa, one of the other things that, that is also prevalent there is HIV. Right. So if you had somebody who had an HIV infection, and maybe even if they were vaccinated or not vaccinated, couldn't develop a strong immune response to uh, uh, COVID-19, then they get infected with COVID-19, now the virus you know, hangs around, picks up uh, little bits and pieces of other viruses, develops a lot of changes. So it's, it's it, that population of people that literally can't be vaccinated or, or have problems with their immune uh, response have to be protected by you know, vaccinating the rest of us. Uh, Mark, this is potentially a dumb question, but I'm sure that I think all of us are wondering, and you might not have the answer to it, but... When is this all going to be over? Is this just our new normal? You know, like, is there some, is this like our flu or um, is it like a disease like smallpox that we can, you know, really at some point potentially bring down to a point that I don't worry about smallpox? Right. Yeah. And I think that the truth is somewhere in between. We okay. can't let this be the new flu, right? It's, it's not socially, economically, medically sustainable to go through this all the time. We could, if, if, if we all just like stop wearing a mask, stop worrying about it and just go back to business, we'll, we'll lose hundreds of thousands of people a year, if not millions. Right. So we, we can't do that. On the other hand, smallpox was somewhat unique in that it, one, it was just a disease of people. It didn't seem to, there are other related diseases, but smallpox itself didn't have an animal host. So we could get out there and we could really get after it, you know, and chase it down. Also, you got the vaccine, you were vaccinated for life. So we could really chase it down and eliminate it. Like I say, 300 million people died of smallpox in the 20th century. And yet by the end of the 20th century, smallpox essentially was extinct. And it exists today only in laboratory vials. Um, that's, that's also a century, though. 
Yeah. <laughs> right? That's, like that's, that's a century. The disease where we've managed to accomplish that. And mm -hmm. one of the big concerns about COVID-19 that we've seen is that it has all kinds of animal uh, reservoirs, right? It infects deer, it infects dogs, it infects cats, it infects gorillas, it infects almost anything. It's, it infects mink. Um, so one of the things that, that early on people who were pushing the lab origin theory of this were saying was, well, it's just too well targeted for people, but clearly it's not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a generalist, unfortunately. So it's going to be really hard to make it essentially extinct. But that doesn't mean we can't get it to the level of something like mumps or measles, right, where we stay after it continuously. We enforce vaccine mandates on kids. <clears throat> we get, you know, we get the adult population vaccinated. We enforce a vaccine mandate on kids every year. We keep the number of people who could catch it small enough. And we do a lot of testing. We do a lot of case management. And we keep it under control. We keep it uh, uh, something that happens mumps happens whooping cough happens my my son had a bad got a bad batch of vaccine and had whooping cough when he was three and nearly died from it whooping cough is terrible but but you don't really worry too much about whooping cough because it's not circulating in the population and that's where we want to get to where it's not circulating in the population then it will be good yeah, like Mike, I'm I'm a big sports fan, and and you know I've been I'm a Chicago fan, and the, the Bulls are doing great. And I, I look at the stadium, I'm like, God, I wish I could bring myself to go to a stadium, but it's indoors. Right. Fans are screaming. The mask, whoever you know, the few that have them, they're like kind of hanging, you know, off the fit, you know, off the nose. So it's pretty useless. And so I I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe enough. And I think from an economic standpoint, we're going to be hampered as long as people feel unease not to mention the actual cost of super spreader events that could erupt at any given time in those, those places. You keep track of, of obviously the, the pharmaceutical world and what, what's going on in the development and treatment of, of pharmaceuticals to treat COVID. Is there anything in the horizon that would help bring a more normalcy, maybe, you know, maybe tablets, uh, you know, um, Drugs, you know, prophylactic, a short-term prophylactic you can take if I was going to go to a concert or to a game to give me like a boost of immunity. Is there anything at all that even theoretically could do that? Well, you know, we've, we've had just recently a couple of um, antivirals announced that are now available. I think at least one of them is available under an EUA. Unfortunately, it, it would be great if they were like 99% effective, right? You take these, you get sick, you take these in the first few days and you're good. But you... Right now, it looks like they're more like 30 to 50% effective. So they're, they're far better than nothing. They're, they're far better than remdesivir, which is a standard of treatment. They're, they're about as good as the monoclonal antibodies have been for, for Delta. What about horse but, paste? Uh, Are they as good as horse paste? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're better than ivermectin. Yeah. <laughs> okay. a, a, uh, ivermectin was discovered in the dirt beside a Japanese golf course mm. and has never been found anywhere else. What? So, <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Just one of those trivial things that came up over the course of all this. But the, the, um, we've, we've got uh, also a, a couple of things that are really interesting to me. And, and I, I won't say the name of the, of the actual medication because I'm sure I'll mangle it if I do. And I don't want to start people uh, hunt, hunting for the wrong thing. But there are a couple of, of antidepressants 
that yeah. have looked really good in early testing. And why should these antidepressants work? I mean, we've gone through, gee, people are looking at uh, malaria medications. People are looking at uh, dewormers. Now, now we're looking at antidepressants. But it, but it could be that they uh, affect that that uh, um, the connector, the base to to uh, port where the virus latches onto human cells. So um, we don't really understand yet the mechanism of how this operates. But in early testing, beyond the the G, somebody had twelve people in my clinic and they took all this and they did great, which is as high as as things like uh, hydrochloroquine. I forgot to. But um, yeah, it, the, we were still waiting on, on the big test to come back. We should, now, within the next few weeks, get some news on that, though. What phase of the disease is that, is that for, though? Is that, is that a prophylactic, or is it once you, become, uh, once you have symptoms or potential exposure? When would you take those? But potentially both. It's, oh. it's potentially both a prophylactic and something that you can take early days of treatment, right? It's probably not something that, and in fact, the early testing pretty much indicated that it's not something you're going to take that's going to pull you out of the hospital if you wait until you're getting ready to get on a ventilator. But if you have been taking it or you've been t or you uh, get it soon after infection, uh, it, it, it looked pretty effective. So, like I say, I, I, I almost hate to say that because Merck's anti-COVID pill looked really good. Even in phase two testing, it looked really good. And now they've had to come back and pretty much cut their effectiveness in half uh, when, they've, when they've expanded their testing. Mark, we're almost out of time. I can't believe we've already <laughs> covered almost an Ooh, hour. It just crazy. flew by. But, um, you know, I, I do want to leave our, our listeners with some sort of, like, hope, and especially folks who are already vaccinated and who are masking up and who have gotten the booster, you know, we're, like, following the rules. Um, right. Basically, you know, moving forward, um, we should just keep, uh, an eye on what the CDC is saying and, and keep masking and keep doing it and avoiding super spreader events. What, what is the next phase for, for those of us who are following the rules and trying to keep each other safe? If, if you're vaccinated and boosted, your protection is, is really good, particularly since almost all of us were boosted in just like the last couple of weeks. You know, your, your protection levels are about as high as they've, they've ever been. I'm not going to say, yeah, go out, go to dinner, go to a movie. But, but right now, you should probably feel just about as, as safe as it is possible to be at this moment. And the other thing is masks. Masks are tremendously effective. Unfortunately, masks are really, their effectiveness declines when everybody's not wearing them, right? If everybody in, in an establishment is wearing masks, if you're in the grocery store and 99% of people are wearing masks, you're really well protected. If you're in the grocery store and 50% of people are wearing masks, it's not quite like you might as well take your mask off but the effectiveness of the mask declines significantly. So unfortunately, mask mandates are really, it, it's, it's low cost, it's minimal effort. It really doesn't hurt anybody. Why can't we just keep the masks on until we get to past this stage? Mark Sumner is a senior writer at Daily Coast. If you read Mark Sumner, you will be the smartest person in the room when it comes to COVID <laughs> and pretty much anything else he talks about. And a fun fact, I don't, I don't know if I have permission to say this, Mark, but if in your youth you read Sweet Valley High uh, novels, <laughs> there's a really good chance Mark wrote one of those, if not multiple yeah. ones of nope. those. Nope, you're not allowed to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always such a pleasure. Uh, this has been incredible. Thanks so much. Kara. <laughs>
<laughs> I tried to I tried to bring it in being like you're safe, you're vaccinated at the end. I wanted I wanted that encouragement for for the for our listeners, but um it's scary. It's scary. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, Joe Biden talk, said, don't panic about Omicron. And, and it, actually, my thought was like, wait, was I supposed to panic? <laughs> that was my initial reaction. Uh, but it's because I read Mark and, right. you know, it, it's it's I feel like I have a good handle on the trajectory of the disease and and the treatments that are available. And as anybody that just spent the last hour listening to him. He really, really, he wasn't checking notes or anything. Like he knows this stuff inside out. It's, it's, right. and his incredible level of knowledge is, is, um, it's like, it's like in on staff, he's, he's like, <laughs> he's probably the smartest person on staff. And he's the guy we all go to when we see something weird. It has to do with science, right? Like yeah. Mark, it's, it's true. Right. And he, he knows, <laughs> he just knows, but it's a little, it is sobering though, right? We, yeah. we have a long way ahead of us. And this idea that we can just let this become endemic is, is dangerous. We cannot, it would kill hundreds of thousands, if not millions a year. And uh, we can't expect, you know, maybe Omicron is flu-like symptoms. Maybe finally conservatives are right about a COVID variant that is just flu-like symptoms. And if that's the truth, that's great. But I think he makes that point and I think it really bears stressing. It's not because the virus is naturally evolving to become right. less lethal because as he notes, the point of the virus is to multiply and to spread. And if you're killing people before you get a chance to spread, yeah, that's a problem, right? So if you have symptoms and then you, you know, you need symptoms to spread the virus, then you better not kill that host before you're able to spread. But COVID doesn't have that problem. COVID spreads right. happily. You don't even need symptoms. You don't even need to, to show any symptoms at all to be spreading COVID. So COVID is happily spreading. And just because it might have evolved into a more mild form in Omicron doesn't mean that Zeta or whatever comes next right. is, is going to be also mild. It could be the exact opposite. And that's what's scary. That's why it's so important to get people to vaccinate. That's why it's so frustrating that people do not. It's yeah. frustrating that the rich nations haven't done more to get uh, vaccines in the hands of the developing world so we can stop these variants from evolving uh, from billions of people that remain unvaccinated. And so this is, this is ongoing. And your question, you know, you said, is this a stupid question? I don't think it's a stupid question. Like that, <laughs> that's the question is what hope do we have? Right. Right. And I mean, I think too, um, I, I've, I've accepted that I'm going to be wearing a mask for probably the rest of my life on public transportation. Cause I can't believe that I just let people breathe on me before. And yes! that's a, a long-term like, <laughs> mental thing that I'll have to work with. And we didn't even touch on like the societal, you know, potentially PTSD, you know, trauma yeah. that this all has had on people. But, you know, for folks listening, I do just want to stress, like get vaccinated, get a booster, wear a mask. And if you want to get extra involved, you know, lobby your local community to enforce mass mandates, local businesses. If you have a local business, make sure everyone's wearing a mask. It's what we can yeah. do. It's literally Pro all we can do. Protect school boards when they're being yes. harassed by the anti-maxers. Yeah, absolutely. So much to do. Kara, thank you so much for joining uh, me today. It's, it's <laughs> of incredible. It's been a what pleasure. A Thanks to Mark Sumner for joining us and talking about COVID and sharing his vast wealth of knowledge with us. Thanks to Walter Einenkel for producing the show. And thank you, the viewer and the listener, for joining us. We are here every Tuesday at 1.30 Pacific, 4.30 Eastern. We are also in all your favorite uh, podcast platforms on Wednesdays. Um, thank you so much for joining us. See you next week. 
Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, give us a rating wherever you get your podcast. You can always talk to us at dailycoast.com or on Twitter at dailycoast. See you next week.